A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, I'm Victoria Meyer. Welcome back to The Chemical Show. This week, I am speaking with Kristen Kortz, who is the VP of Business Development for Market Actives, which is the exclusive U.S. distributor of Bittrex Safety Technology. She is actively involved in product safety, regulatory compliance, and managing high-value customer relationships. Kristen is a certified product safety professional and is an active participant in various industry organizations, including ACI and the National Poison Prevention Week Council. So we are going to learn a bit about Bittrex and product safety and some other great things. Kristen, welcome to The Chemical Show. Well, thank you for having me, Victoria. I'm very excited to be here. I am excited to have you here. What's your origin story? What got you interested in chemicals and product safety and brought you to where you are today? Well, my background is actually in veterinary medicine. My original plan was vet school and I was working as a CBT, which stands for Certified Veterinary Technician at an emergency and critical care uh, hospital here in Portland. And I was working on my MBA. And when I finished my MBA, I kind of looked around and was like, I'd like a change, try something different and see what's out there. And so I happened to answer a chemical concepts ad for a part-time office manager job. And it turned out that that was for Bittrex. And so I started with the company 13 years ago as a part-time office manager. And we've always been kind of a small company, but I've been able to kind of create my path and career. I went full-time about nine years ago now and started as kind of national accounts manager. And then, you know, slowly we've changed my title over time to the VP of business development, just because it more encompasses what I do. But I actually prefer to use the bitter gal rather than my actual official title, just because, you know, we, we, we work in safety and it's hard to have fun with safety. And there are a million people who are VPs of business development. And so it's not very memorable, right? But the bitter gal is. And so I've gone with that kind of personal branding and it just really encompasses kind of the work we do in product safety and making the world better for a really awesome. good reason. Well, so that's a great lead-in. So tell us a little bit about market actives and Bittrex and um, being bitter, I guess, bitter in a good way. Yes, bitter in a good way. So Market Actives, as you mentioned, is the exclusive U.S. distributor, and we have been for the last 30 years. Really, the company owner helped build the Bittrex business here in the U.S., starting to put it into products and really getting that safety built up with the various consumer products that we go into. And Bittrex itself was discovered in the late 50s by a company called McFarland Smith. 
So they are a 200 plus year old pharmaceutical company that was trying to make a better anesthetic. And one of the variations that came out had no anesthetic properties. It just tasted really, really, really bad. And so I always call it kind of like, it's the post-it invention. It's like that oops of what are we going to do with this? And so the scientists at the time, they were like, oh, well, we could use this for alcohol denaturing because that was safer than the other options at the time. And then the first commercial use was actually on a Danish pig farm to keep the pigs from chewing on each other. And then in the early 80s, it became used primarily as a safety ingredient. So added into consumer products to help stop kids from eating and drinking things they shouldn't. And that's our primary function today. Yeah. So Bitrix is bitter. It's a bitter flavor additive for stuff. It is actually recognized by the Guinness Book of World Records as the world's most bitter substance. Okay. That's interesting. So, so, you know, Bitrix is clearly centered around product safety and I know that it goes into a lot of different products and I'm hoping at some point here, you touch on some of those products. I think that's interesting to people. So in fact, maybe let's start there. Where would we find Bitrix and why? Sure. So Bitrex goes into so many different products, anything from laundry detergent, nail polish remover, antifreeze, coin cell batteries, no-chew sprays for animals, all sorts of different things like nail polish remover because it's, it's pretty colored. So anything that a child might see as something that either resembles food or products. There's a number of products like re-diffusers in, in, in your house. Those liquids are scented and they smell good. And sometimes they smell like food. So anything that may look or smell like food or be attractive colors, like the bright pinks and things, or even like antifreeze, we know um, ethylene glycol itself uh, as a chemical is sweet by nature. And it's that pretty bright green color. And kids, if it if they don't know better, or they happen to see it in a container that's not its original packaging, which obviously we don't want that, but yeah. Bitrix is really in there to be that last line of defense. So when it is in use or, you know, the packaging is open and so you don't have all those other protections that you have something that if, when the child gets it in their mouth, they will spit it back out. Okay. So it is really about don't eat the pretty stuff that you're not supposed to be eating. Basically, basically. Awesome. It's actually, it, it works on our natural instinct. It's a natural instinct for humans that bitter is bad. So like you go out in nature and you pick a berry, you put it in your mouth and it has that really bitter taste. You automatically spit it out. This yeah. works on that exact same instinct. Interesting. And so That's they really get cool. it in their mouth, taste so bad, spit it out. That's really cool. That is very cool. Yeah. So obviously the Bitrix story is really centered around product safety. And I know that's a passion area for you. You know, why is product safety important? Well, product safety is important because everyone deserves to have safe products in their home. Companies don't intentionally in any way make products that are harmful, but there are always hazards and risks associated with things that you can't always design out of a product. 
So, you know, products are designed with risk assessments and formulations to make them as safe as possible, but you can only go so far and still have that product do what is it is intended to do. And so that's really where Bittrex comes in and it helps add an additional layer of safety on top of all those other layers that then works together to then provide the consumer with the safest product possible. Uh, yeah. I mean, so you're really in a very consumer centric business and really, I guess, not I mean, people centric, really centered around how people use products safely and unsafely. The benefits and the impacts are ultimately felt by the individuals, but obviously working with many of the major consumer brands to help make their products effective. And yet Bittrex, surprisingly, is not really a household name. I guess, you know, a couple of questions on this is, you know, one is just where do you gain these consumer insights? Because you're obviously working to create a solution to a problem that maybe nobody ever anticipated, right? The consumer products companies wouldn't necessarily anticipate, you know, let's take Tide Pods, for example. Who would have ever thought consuming a Tide Pod would be a good idea? And yet there was this whole phenomenon for a few years where people thought it was funny. How do you start figuring out what your applications are and what the consumer and the consumer products companies really need? Well, that's actually one of the reasons why we stay so engaged with the trade associations like ACI, as you mentioned. We're also members of ICFASO, the International Consumer Product Health and Safety Organization, which is an organization that basically gathers product safety professionals to basically elevate product safety, share best practices, and really look at how we can help make products safer. Yeah. Our the our the tagline of making sure stupid tastes bitter actually came out of the Tide Pod Challenge, which yes, no one was hoping was there, but there was kind of the added benefit of with through the ASTM standards process, there is actually a bitter included in that film. And if you, you watch those challenges of people yeah. trying the Tide Pods, which I have many of them, you can actually watch them, put it in their mouth, start to make that bitter face because they taste the Bittrex in the film, but yeah. then they want their 15 minutes of social media fame and they bite it anyway, which kind of comes down to how do you prevent against intentional ingestion versus accidental ingestion. Yeah. And that's something that I feel almost any product safety person or company, that's something that we always come up against and have frequent discussions on because it's really hard to stop or prevent intentional behavior. Yeah. But we try and um, do everything we can to prevent the unintentional and the accidents. So anything that's that accidental ingestion because a child doesn't know better or, mm. you know, somebody accidentally left something in the wrong container or whatever it is. But it, it was it wasn't something, oh, I'm going to do this because I want, you know, social media fame or whatever it is. Right. And so a lot of our insights come from both paying attention to what the NGOs are talking about and consumers. And so we do a lot of like listening to what's uh, being talked about, as yeah. well as then what we hear from the trade associations and at ICFASO and all of those kind of things. Yeah. And I know it's interesting. You talk about the accidental ingestion, because obviously that's where the work is really done. Because again, you, it's hard to prevent when somebody's willingly 
doing something that they know they shouldn't do that makes no logical sense, but it's, you know, I don't know, it makes for a good 15 minutes of fame. And I know ACI that you guys are quite active in is really talking about keeping products in their packaging, right? So I know there's this whole Instagram and Pinterest trend to make your laundry room look really pretty and load everything into pretty containers. And, and, you know, as, as we know, kids, especially they don't discern safety that if it's there in front of them, Oh, that looks like candy. Oh, it's not candy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, things like safe storage, you know, those are always one of those challenges. And that is definitely a trend that we would all like to see go away. But I think one of the things that trend exemplifies is the fact that people assume a certain level of safety in their products, which Mm. is there, but at the same time, they don't realize that some of those layers of the safety that come in those products comes in the packaging that those products come in. So yes, you know, the product is designed to be as safe as possible, but then things like the packaging and the child-resistant closures and all of those other pieces of products, well, yes, maybe they are not as aesthetically beautiful as, you know, <laughs> home organizers would like them to be but they serve a function. And it's that kind of disconnect in realizing that there is a function beyond this is how I buy it on the shelf. And this is how the company that made it shipped it to me, but that it actually does a job. Right. Interesting. So, so, you know, we could talk a lot about that, but we're going to, we're going to park that one. You know, Bittrex is, again, as we talked about, it's a product that many people don't know. It is a small, but critical part of the final product um, in use. And and I think what's interesting is, you know, commoditization and replication are always a risk, especially when, you know, products that have been on the market for decades, such as Bittrex has, and they're products that are not easily recognizable. The function is there, but the recognition of the function is not there from a consumer perspective. How do you guys work against commoditization and really ensuring that you're getting the value for the work that you've done and that Bittrex is really seen as a a premium additive to these many consumer products? That's a great question. To kind of start with your first point about, you know, consumers not really knowing the Bittrex name, I kind of relate it to my work from emergency medicine. One of the things that we would say in that is, you know, The ER is there when something goes wrong and you're really glad that we're there to help in the situation, but you'd rather not need us. And in some ways, I think Bittrex is very similar in we are kind of that last line of defense. We work with companies so that they really build the safety into the DNA of their product. And in that, you know, with the messaging and all of the other pieces, it it hopefully never gets to the point that a child is putting it in their mouth and needing to then have the Bittrex work for them to spit it out, but it is there if it's needed. And so there are there are companies that use the Bittrex logo on their products and talk about it in their marketing resources and really communicate that added layer of safety to their consumers. But safety is always one of those topics that's a little challenging to talk about sometimes. And 
people shy away from it a bit just because people don't want to think about, you know, what could go wrong. Right. And the, and when you talk about safety or think about the safety of a product, you do have to take that moment and think about what could go wrong. And, you know, as, as you said a little while ago with the consumer, with the consumer brands, maybe not recognizing what a consumer might do, you know, we really need to kind of look at those pieces. So one of our jobs is to, as we're looking at new products coming into the market or potential new products or changes in the categories, uh, particularly like with sustainability things that are coming in and formulas are getting more concentrated, we're taking the water out of products, that's going to change that hazard profile of the product that the customer interacts with. And so do we need to think about the safety of that product in a different way that maybe wasn't necessary when it was, you know, a larger bottle with lots of extra water and things like that. And, And so that's really kind of that piece of, we want to be there and we would, you know, recognition by the consumers is fantastic because then they're, they're looking for safety. They're aware of it, but, you know, especially in today's world, people have so many things to think about that, you know, that's just one more piece that just isn't really prioritized on the plate of things they want to think about. So a lot of times we, while yes, we are a, a brand that benefits people and consumers at the end, We really work with the brand manufacturers to help them really build it into their products, put the safest product they can on the market, and then help them with their messaging so that if there is a consumer that's a little more engaged, wants to really kind of dig deeper into, you know, what is really in my product and, you know, the transparency trends that are happening today, I think are just making a lot more consumers aware and interested in kind of that understanding piece where they can really get to a place where they're like, oh, there is this added safety feature and that's going to influence the products I choose to buy, knowing that that's there because then I know I'm making the best choice I can for my family. Yeah. Interesting. So, you know, I know that, I mean, you're obviously US-based but Bittrex is sold globally. I guess the question I have is really around product safety standards, maybe around the world. So I think about products that are meant to be sold and manufactured, let's just say in North America or in Europe, we understand, we accept, we uh, we have expectations around the safety profiles of them because of, you know, EPA, FDA, pick your acronym, all these these groups that put some some rules and regs around it. Is there a concern that you've seen around products coming in from other parts of the world that people then start using that maybe don't have the same safety standards? Or do you feel like this is that we're getting to a place where there's kind of parity on a lot of this? I feel there is a lot of parodies that one sees. There's a lot that, as you noted, happens in the US and the EU. But because a lot of companies are also global companies and they're manufacturing globally, I've noticed that a lot of companies will manufacture the same formulation type of product with the same features in other places. You know, there are certain regions where even just the idea of product safety, the discussion of product safety just doesn't happen on the same level. And it's 
it's just kind of as a, you know, society in that region that just hasn't become something that, you know, has become a forefront topic. But I think there's a lot of kind of overflow of what happens, particularly in Europe and in the U.S., that then expands into the other countries and then is adopted by those other countries because everybody wants to make sure that, you know, their citizens and their people are as safe as possible. And as Bittrex is that global brand, Bittrex works with a distributor model. So there is a home office based in Edinburgh, Scotland, and then they have a number of exclusive distributors like us around the world. One of the benefits that we bring in through the Bittrex process is our Bittrex certification testing, where we help companies actually figure out what the minimally aversive level is in their product, which is a very long way of saying we help them figure out the lowest possible level that is still effective to make their product taste bad and get a child to spit it out. Yeah. Uh, makes sense. And, and I would imagine, or maybe you tell me there's a certain amount of formulation work that needs to happen to ensure that the Bitrix that as it gets added in is not changing the effectiveness of the formula, that there's, that it works, that the product works the way that people intended it to. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things we're always looking at with the certification process. One, we're helping companies add it into their product, making sure they're using the right preparation and have the right PPM level because Bitrix is used in parts per million because it's being that it's the world's most bitter substance. It has very, very low levels that are effective to have that aversive effect. And so we do the taste testing on the least sensitive population, which is adult males. So that, that adult, that children. There's a joke to be had about that, by the way, but okay, keep going. <laughs> so that children who happen to be the most sensitive population, that if it's moderately intolerable or worse to, to an adult, it's going to be absolutely intolerable to a child who is the one you want to be spitting out the product. And so we're, we're looking at those pieces, but then how do they fit it in their product? And we want to make sure that, okay, we give them a final number, but then we want to look at how is it in use? And is it something like if it's a liquid that then goes into a different type of packaging, then we want to look at it, how the consumer, the end user is going to interact with it. And is it still effective after it's gone through manufacturing or all of those pieces? That's interesting. So, so the formulations are then they're tested with humans, I guess. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that what happens? It is. Yeah. So we, so Bitrex works with a independent sensory lab that is also in Edinburgh. So samples get sent to the home office lab, they get anonymized and then sent to um, the testing facility. So there's a toxicology review that happens to make sure that the samples are safe to be tested with humans. And the reason that we do the human taste testing is because a machine reading can't tell you the effectiveness of the aversive level. It can just tell you what the level is. Yeah. But every formulation is a little bit different. And the chemicals that make up that formula are going to have different impacts on the perception of the bitterness, particularly things that have fragrance in them. Different fragrance types and different fragrance loads can affect the perception of the bitterness. And so when you have a fragrance product, we actually test every single variation to make sure 
that it still works in each one. Yeah, that makes sense. Can we nominate people for the bitter taste testing, perhaps like as a punishment? It's like <laughs> you get a trip to Edinburgh and you have to taste test bitter things. <laughs> uh, no. Okay. Well, good try. <laughs> mainly, mainly because there's people that actually, they, they, they're trained to do this. Yeah. Like yeah, they're yeah. trained, you know, what, what do these different tolerability levels mean? And I'm not sure that many people want to sign up for that, but we appreciate those that do that because yeah. it's so vital for what we do. And just that value add for what the Bitrex certification brings to a product. Yeah. Uh, but we do have a way for people to try the Bitrex. Um, okay. Just when you tell someone this is the world's most bitter substance, there's a lot of people who either have no idea what that might mean, or they think like more like lemon, whereas mm. lemon uh, is lemon's more sour, whereas right. this is bitter. And so they're it's a nuanced difference, but like yeah. lemon, you get that like classic lemon face and then bitter, you actually spit out. So we actually have taste test kits. They're basically paper strips that have Bitrex on one end of them. And it's a chance for people to taste the Bitrex, get an understanding of this is what it's doing in your product. And then they just have that memorable, because it's a very visceral experience. And so you have that opportunity to like, oh, okay, I get why this works and why making our product bitter would make someone spit this out and how that adds the safety to our product. And so that's something we provide to people who request them through the Bitrex website or to new customers we're working with. We have a lot of customers who are adding it in their products that then use it in their sales meetings with the, like when they're going into a new uh, retailer, they actually include that as part of their messaging to show that, you know, this is that added feature that we have in here and this is what it tastes like and this is why it's there. That's cool. And that makes sense because it, otherwise it's just conceptual and we don't really understand it. So you're going to send me some of these test strips. So maybe I'll do it either yes. live or I'll do an outtake uh, for when we publish this. I may <laughs> regret that by the way, but I'd love to, I'd love to be the guinea pig testing this bitter bitrix. Oh, I will, be awesome. I will happily send you a taste test kit. Yes. Absolutely. It is a lot of fun. Just, just, I mean, we have people, we've gone to trade shows and there was one we went to and there was a guy who stopped by the booth and he's like, yeah, I did that 20 years ago. I'm not doing that again. That's hilarious. Because <laughs> it's one of those, one, once it's there, you're like, yeah. I, and then I, I is it, do you have to like wash it down with water? You know how like when you eat hot peppers and your mouth is hot and burning and you're trying to figure out, oh, now what am I going to do? I'm going to eat something. Am I going to drink milk? Am I going to do something? Is there a, a counter to the bitter bitrix taste? Yes. The antidote is chocolate. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> Are you serious though? <laughs> I am serious. Yeah. Okay. The antidote to the Vitrex is the chocolate and it milk chocolate works best. And, but I usually recommend people eat a couple pieces because basically it'll help coat the taste buds and then it'll help neutralize the Vitrex. All right. So Bitrix and chocolate. Drive people to try the bad stuff to eat the chocolate. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> but you must taste it first, not the chocolate first. Chocolate. Right. Because then it negates <laughs> it. Yeah. That makes sense. Exactly. <laughs> so you've been really active with ACI and part of their future leaders program, which played a really key role in the what cleaning ingredients do ingredient communication tool that rolled out about a year ago. So can you talk about just what prompted the development of that tool? 
Yeah, so I've been honored to be part of the Future Leaders group at ACI since its inception. We really started our work in 2019. And what we wanted to have was more than just like a leadership development program, but we wanted to have a relevant impact on the cleaning products industry, where it's going, and really how could we help shape and impact where the cleaning products industry is going. And so when we started looking at, you know, kind of where was that niche that wasn't being filled by another group and where could we have that impact? It was really in ingredient transparency. Um, that was the year before the SBA B258. So California's Right to Know Act was set to go into effect starting in January of 2020. And we really wanted to look at both how could we help kind of companies understand how consumers were going to perceive this change. And, you know, because all of a sudden labels are going to start to look different. There's going to be more disclosures of information. And when labels change and things that consumers actually see changes, it becomes, you know, oh my goodness, what is this? And so we really wanted to look at how consumers would be effective and then take that learning back to the industry. And so we actually started with design thinking and designed a project that did empathy interviews and consumer insights with actual consumers on their perceptions of the labels, their priorities of ingredient transparency, like what are the most important things on a label? How, how do they feel about, you know, ingredients in general is like, do they understand when things are listed and just what do they want to know? And so one of the things that they told us was that they felt trusted and cared for more by the brands when they were sharing this additional level of transparency and telling them what was in the product, they actually felt that the brands were showing a greater level of care for them. And that they was it was increasing their trust in those brands. And so we wanted to see how we could really, while keeping that consumer as a true north, how could how we could really impact how consumers interacted with the new information. Because one of the other things they told us was, well, the chemical names are great, but they don't really understand what those chemical names are because, you know, those are sometimes, you know, multi-word things and you read right. that and go, huh, I mean, even water, you know, you look right. at Well, that, and, and, and like, I would say even jumping in here, really, even people in the chemical industry don't recognize and know all those names or people right. in consumer products companies doing formulations may or may not know all those names. You know, the ones that you interact with on a daily basis, you maybe know the ones that your company right. sells or that your company uses, but there's an entire array of products, thousands of products that are kind of unknown from a, mm -hmm. just, you're just not aware of them. You just trust that it's again, back to the whole trusting the brands, trusting the formulations, that it's the right product in the right place. And so this whole aspect of being able to interpret what the product is, it's hard. Right. And so what we wanted to look at was how could we 
have an additional piece that really helps standardize consumer understanding. There's great tools like Smart Label where companies can, you know, put those things out there. And so one of the things we did was we actually did a scrub of Smart Label and looked at, you know, the different descriptions for the various ingredients that was included in that, which is what a consumer would see. And the example that we use the most is actually water. There were 14 different definitions for the function of water in a product. Wow. Wow. And yeah, we, we had that exact same response. It's like, that could be a little confusing. I mean, some words, you know, short as a couple words and one was like, three sentences long, you know, there's just so much in between that it's hard as a consumer to then go, okay, how do I interact with this? How do I even know, you know, what this does in the product? So what we basically wanted to do was then how could we standardize the language in a way that was consumer friendly and accessible to really give them that knowledge they needed to feel empowered with this extra disclosure on their label. And it's like, okay, well, there's that chemical, but that chemical is a surfactant. And then having a standardized definition of what is a surfactant Mm. or what is a defomer or, you know, all the different pieces that are part of the formulation. And so again, using consumer research, we took that list of chemicals and we had a technical team with uh, member companies of ACI volunteering their technical people to kind of clean up the list. Yeah. And, and is so, this targeting, like, you know, when you think about it, it's, it's targeting eighth grade knowledge or because it, it's targeting the average individual. It is. We tried to aim for being generally consumer understandable, which there's reports of sometimes that's third grade, sometimes that's eighth grade and somewhere in between. But, but one of the things we did with that was, so we got down to a list of 42. So there are 42 consumer functions and those are the 42 groups of the functions that are in cleaning products. And then, and and then it got turned into a web-based tool. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we turned it into a web-based tool and we launched that with member companies. And then we also have been able to integrate it into the smart label integration portal. So that's the kind of back end of smart label. So that's not the side the consumer see, that's the side that the company's putting in the information. Yeah. And so what, what we're working on, and we've gotten commitments from member companies within ACI to start incorporating this language. And when they're putting in the function language into smart label or using on their website disclosures, or anywhere that they're talking about ingredients to really use this standardized language so that when a consumer picks up product A and product B and they're trying to look at the differences, if one says it has a surfactant and the other one says a surfactant, they both describe it as the same way. Or if they both So kind of demystifying and standardizing. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, consumers... And NGOs and regulators, everyone um, keeps saying, well, we don't have enough information. We need more information. But at a certain point, more information is just more information. Yeah, we're living in a world of information overload. We don't need more information. We need the right information. Well, the right information and even the right information presented in a way that is understandable. Yeah. And so it's really it's really that consumer understanding piece that we were really focusing on because we wanted consumers to 
have that empowerment of like, okay, I know what this does in my product. Or if they like, okay, I don't remember what that is. They look it up. They're like, okay, I understand that. And then I can decide, okay, I understand what's in my products and I'm okay bringing in this into my home for whatever product they're choosing. Well, and it obviously ties back very well into the rest of the work that you're doing from a uh, product safety advocacy perspective. Tell us what's next for you and for market actives and for Bitrix. What should we be looking forward to over the coming six to 12 months? The biggest area that I think we're going to be playing more in and doing more work in is related to as products change in their format and their sustainability, and really they change those formats. I think there's going to be a lot of kind of overlap with relooking at the safety profiles of products and how do we help with that. With sustainability and new green products, obviously formulas mm-hmm. are going to change. So having Bitrix ready for the next change is important. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Awesome. This has been a great conversation. I have really enjoyed learning more about you, Kristen and Bitrix. And thank you for joining us today on the chemical show. Well, this was so much fun and I am so glad you invited me, Victoria, and I can't wait for everything that comes next. Awesome. Well, and thanks everyone for listening today. Keep listening, keep following, keep sharing, and we'll talk to you again soon. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.